This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, we first speak with Bruce, who is a film actor and producer. After the break, we chat with Thomas, a former Marvel Comics comic book artist who is currently a content creator for television and film and a concept artist for video games. Here are their stories. My name is Bruce Miles, and I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. And one of the most impactful events in my life would probably be when I was seven and my mother passed away from cancer. And one of the last memories that I have of my mother is visiting visiting her in the hospital before she passed away. And then, of course, I remember the morning that my stepfather told me that she passed away. And I remember running to my friend's house down the street um, because I didn't know what else to do. And because of that, I think throughout the course of my life, even though I may not have had big significant events in my life to direct me one way or the other, that's, I would say that event has definitely pushed me to be very independent, very um, go after what I want, always strive to do my best and achieve everything that I can. What, uh, what cancer did you have? It started out as, I believe it started out as lung cancer, and then it was breast cancer. And then during the treatments, my from what my father told me, my stepfather convinced her to go down to Mexico because we were living in California at the time and try an experimental treatment. And that experimental treatment is what made everything blow up and get worse for her. Oh no, that's sad. Uh, so in your seven, what you, you said you have other siblings won't you how, how old are they i've got four siblings four sisters the oldest one is 10 years older than i am and then it goes down the line about two years in between all of this well um you, you said your mother and father were divorced when did that happen that happened my parents divorced when i was i want to say when i was four or five and we were living in california because i remember spending time in my dad's apartment. And then before she passed away, he actually moved to Colorado. And so when she passed away, my sister Michelle and I moved in, uh, moved to Colorado to live with our dad because we were the, we were all, we were the only two that were under age at the time. The rest were at least 18. So they were able to live on or stay in California, either with my stepdad or on their own if they chose. Yeah. Um, did, did you get along with your stepdad? I did not. So that was a bad thing to begin with. And then when you found right. out about, about what actually happened to your mom, how old were you when you find out from your from your father about the, the Mexico trip? I was actually an adult um, when I found out about my father or about my mother. How did that so I never knew. Yeah, when I was a kid, I always just knew that she passed away from cancer. I remember visiting her in the hospital. Or when she was at home, she'd have the oxygen tank, oxygen tanks delivered and hooked up. Because, it was, it, because was. it was lung cancer, yeah. Correct, right. Um, so when when you found out from your father, how did that go? Was it, I mean, were you were you t- angry or hurt or 
I mean, how did that affect you? And you were an adult when you found out from your father that they went to Mexico to get tricky treatment. What, what, did, what went through your mind then? Surprisingly, nothing really, because it was only about six years ago. So a significant time had passed since she had passed away. And I think it, like it, there's definitely that frustration of how much longer would she have lived if that didn't happen. But because it was lung cancer and breast cancer, there's no, like, even if she didn't have that treatment, there's no guarantee how much longer she would have lived. Yeah, it had metastasized. I think it's what they call it when it when it spreads from one area to another. Uh, do you know if she had the breast cancer first or the lung cancer? I want to say it was breast cancer first, and then because she was a smoker, then it became lung cancer. Yeah. Um, so how old are you now? I'm 45 now. So this happened when I was... I can't do my math all of a sudden. Yeah, you said you were seven, so it's been, it's been a while. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So 38. So 38 years. So, um, and I think, and I think that's because of, because of that 38 years, that's why at this point, it, there's no point in getting angry about it because it's been 38 years that I've learned to live without my mother. Yeah. It's not healthy to, to hold anger. And since you didn't have it to begin with, that's probably a good thing. Right. So you, um, you are an actor. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? When did you get started in acting? Was, were you younger and do, did school plays or how'd that begin? When I was younger, when I was in high school, I'd always thought about trying out for the school plays, but I never did. And then when I went off to college, I decided that was going to be the time that I was going to actually see what I could do. And so I auditioned for an improv team at my college, but I wasn't selected. So then I kind of, so then I basically just gave up on pursuing acting, but it was always kind of in the back of my mind as I'd watch movies, or especially, uh, especially as I'd watch movies, um, whether they're live action or animated. And then for a number of years, I started thinking how much fun it would be to do the voices for animated films and again, it was just always something that was in the back of my mind. I would just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. And then one day I decided it's never going to happen if I just keep thinking about it. And so I did some research online and found a couple companies um, in the U.S. and in the U.K. that offered kind of like introductory online courses to get into voiceovers. And so I went through those and one of them I was going through a voiceover coach and got a demo reel and as I was doing that I was finding opportunities to actually be in front of the camera so then when I was on set in front of the camera I was like wow this is actually a lot more fun and, let, and not as difficult as I thought it would be which is what I, why I started pursuing voiceovers and then as I continued to be on set as an actor I started hanging out with the directors and the producers when I wasn't in the scene and seeing how they operate. And because I have a project management background, I decided I wanted to start pursuing a producer career because with my project management background, I enjoy pulling the cast, the crew, the scripts, everything together and seeing how a product or a project goes from start to finish. What was your first project you worked on? The first project that I worked on was a student film here in Colorado called The Coffee King, where I was, it was all improv, and the story was about these, this guy and this girl that own a coffee shop, and the guy is attracted to the girl, he's watching her go out on all these dates at the coffee shop, and all the dates that she's going out, going on are terrible. So I was one of the 10 guys that had to come up and just be as obnoxious as I could for the date. And when I went up to, to her, I was like, my line was, uh, I took the line from meeting, Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller, where he's talking about milking the cats. And that's the one that the director slash producer really liked. And so that's the one that was, that was a scene of mine that was kept in the film. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, what, that was something that was played in independent theaters or, just, you know, in, in Colorado, or did it go any further? It was just in Colorado because it was just a student film. And then um, I think it won an award 
because every every year they do a student show almost like the like the academy awards but it's just for the student films and so i went to that and that was the first time that i actually saw myself on screen in something where did you go from there from there, I went to Texas for a weekend for a Western, actor, Western Actors Workshop that was put on by Bentley Mitchum, who's the son of Chris Mitchum and the grandson of Robert Mitchum. Oh. And it was a three—it was a three-day workshop where we f- actually filmed a about an hour-long movie while we were there. That was written based on all the people that were participating in the workshop and. I think it was finally I think it was finally released last year but I think it's just online yeah well uh uh in my show notes I like to put links to different things so if you know what the link is to that we'll go ahead and add that to show notes and my okay. uh, listeners can find that uh I imagine it's probably on YouTube probably yeah I'll see if I can find that and send you the, the link to it sure okay so what do you have going on now do you have something recent coming up or or something in the works that you're really excited about? Yeah, so right now I've got several projects in development. Uh, I've got a TV series and a couple family-friendly fantasy fiction films and a superhero film, but one of the projects that I'm the most excited about is a movie called Still Waters, which is set in Louisiana, and it's about the development of a community that encroaches on an alligator's territory and so as a result the alligator starts hunting people for food and the main character seeks revenge against the alligator and so it's almost like a jaws feel but with an alligator instead of a shark well i'm i'm in louisiana so i can relate to that we have i'm in shreveport so i'm in northwest louisiana but we have alligators up here i know a lot of people think that you know the alligators are down south mostly but you know, from here to uh, Florida, alligators are pretty prevalent. So that's right. you know, it's definitely something scary. Because I, I read a lot about people who have lost animals to their to alligators, and uh, you know, where women or men have been attacked walking their dog next to a pond or something, and so that's really scary. Uh, now, yeah, this one is ba- so this one is based on true events, which they're not specific events, but I do remember. I think it was three or four years ago. There was a kid at Disney World or Disneyland that was snatched by an alligator. Yeah. So, like, like you said, it happens all the time. So, did are are you mainly acting in it, or have you done any other producing aspect with this show? Or no, this one I am producing, and then I met um, a producer director from LA who lives in Boulder, Colorado. Now, him and I met last summer at a networking event. And then we clicked, and then we started talking about different scripts. And I showed him this one, and he really liked it. And so then I introduced him to the scriptwriter. And when the three of us met on a conference call and talked about the notes for the script and the feel for it, we were all on the same page. We all felt the energy amongst us to make this the best movie that we can, even on an independent level, which is what we're aiming for. Is it being crowdfunded, or, you know, I mean, is the. Uh... Has the funding already been set, or do you are you are you still looking for funds that you can maybe guide my listeners to if they want to donate? We haven't started the crowdfunding yet. We haven't decided if we're going to go that route or seek other investors. Right now, we're still in the very early stages of development, where we are still fleshing out the script and doing a few rewrites before we get to the point where we actually start actively fundraising for it how active are you in the writing of, of films and, and short short movies and so forth do, do you uh, is that something you do actively quite a bit write write scripts or or have you really gotten into that i don't write scripts um i was very i was a very creative writer when i was in high school but creative writing is a lot different than script writing and that's not something that i want to tackle so I like to come up with story ideas and then find a script writer that can take my story idea and run with them. Or in the case of Still Waters or some, most of the others that I'm working on, find a script that I really like, work with the script writer, work with a director slash producer, 
and see where we can strengthen the script, which is surprisingly one of my strong suits is I can read a script and say, okay, we need to move this scene around to make it better, or we need to add a scene here to make it better, or we need to subtract this scene to make it better. So I'm better with the revision than coming up with it from start to finish. Yeah, producers tend to have quite a, you know, quite a bit going on in a movie or a short film. Uh, why don't you let us know a little bit about, you know, what all a producer does? Everything. <laughs> Just it, It's hard to say because producers, they tend to have their hands in a little bit of everything or, well, depending on the size of the film, they can have their hands in everything. I've done a couple of short films where I was the producer and then I started acting a little bit as the director and working with the actors through their scenes while the crew was setting up the cameras. But aside from that, the producers are looking for the money, they're looking for the cast, they're looking for the crew, they are looking for the sets. And even if they're not directly involved in everything, they need to find the people that will do all of this, whether it's finding a casting director or finding a location scout or finding someone to do the wardrobe or the set decorations or build the sets or I think I said scout the sets already. You know, and then of course there's everything that goes on behind the scenes between the cast and the crew and making sure everybody gets fed on sets so nobody goes hungry and gets upset. Yeah, that's that's pretty involving. Uh, is Stillwater being filmed in Louisiana, or it just takes place in Louisiana? I believe the goal is to film it in Louisiana. Right now, our scriptwriter, she's working on three other projects. So this is in May is when we'll really the three of us will sit down and really start delve into the development and like fundraising and scouting locations and contemplating cast for it. So you, you've been involved in, in movies for quite a while now. Uh, there's, go ahead and, and let us know what else you've done. You, you've told us about three shows so far. Um, what else have you done in the way of movies and directing and uh, producing and acting and so forth? Um, as far as acting, I've been in a couple feature films. One is called 15 Killings that is about a serial killer who's being interviewed by uh, I don't know uh, by a, I think it's a police psychologist or by some psychologist and delving into his mind and I have a small role in that and that one was just all the editing was just finished on that one and I believe the director's goal is to submit it into festivals I was in a and that was filmed here in Denver I was in another film, a sci-fi film called Final Transit that we finished filming about a year and a half uh, in 2018. And last summer that was entered into a film festival in Las Vegas. And then this year it was in a film festival in LA, Tokyo, and one in Italy. And those were all as, as an actor. Most of the stuff that I've done is an actor. And then I've done a couple of short films as a producer and now I'm working with other producers, directors to on bigger projects so that they're experienced and I can start learning more from them as to the best practices as a producer going forward. Did you say you, you did films in Tokyo and Italy? No, but the film that I was in, Final Transit, that was in a film festival in Tokyo. A film oh, okay, I misunderstood. In, yeah, in Italy and a film festival in Las Vegas, as well as a film festival in Los Angeles last year. Something so it's been I'm, in several film festivals. Oh, cool. Something I'm curious about as far as the, the producing realm of, of doing movies and so forth. Uh, are, how involved are you with the score of the movie and how do you find somebody to score a movie for you, for the music? That I'm not very involved in. And I prefer, I actually prefer the director or another producer, whether it's the initial producer or the post-production producer to do that. Because that's, to me, that's very similar to the script. 
where I know when it comes to scoring a movie, it has to have a certain feel. And that's where I trust other people to make those decisions. So yeah, me as a producer, I'm more, I try to be more of the onset everyday type producer. And then once it gets to post-production, hand it off to another producer to make those decisions. Yeah, or at least, yeah. Go ahead. Or at least be in, <laughs> sorry, or at least be involved in them, but I don't, but have multiple inputs. So it's not just me making those decisions. Okay. I was just going to say that that's such a, a huge part of a film, the score is, and uh, I just want to know how much involvement you had with that. Um, so Stillwater, is that the, the newest thing you're, you're involved in right now? Is there something else you got in the works that you'd like to share with us? That's the newest thing that I have. Well, technically that's the newest thing I have right now, but then I'm also working with a team in LA on a crime drama TV series that we hope to start filming in the next couple months. And then we have two fantasy fiction films that one's that's based off um, two novels that are available on Amazon. And then one, and they're very similar to Harry Potter type movies. And then we have a superhero-esque feature film that we'll be working on later this year. Okay. Kind of like The Punisher, but a little bit more like Japanese metaphysical elements to it than The Punisher. Definitely more so than The Punisher, because The Punisher doesn't have that. Is there a, uh, you know, a difference between doing a film for theater versus a film for TV? Are they basically about the same thing as far as producing them? Or do you have to kind of come approach it in a different different way? It's definitely, you definitely have to approach it in a different way because with the, with the TV series, let's say you have 10 episodes that are say an hour long, like you're basic, it's almost like doing 10, 10 movies all in, in well, all in one season versus doing one full movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you're having to do many episodes or, or many movies and, and for one for one show where it's spread out for the seasons. Is that what you're saying? Right. And then with the with the T V series, you're always trying to find ways to make sure that the T V series is attractive to the audience and it's fresh and it keeps going. And there's so many T V series that are cancelled after the first episode or before the first episode has ever aired. Versus at least with a movie you can still pretty much guarantee that a movie will be seen somewhere, even even if it's not in a big theater. Yeah. What uh, have you been to any um, premieres for your films? Yeah. So Final Transit. I guess not necessarily a premiere, but the first time that it was actually shown was at the Action on Film Film Festival in Las Vegas last summer. And so all the cast and the, most of the cast and crew, we all went there and had dinner beforehand and then walked their little red carpet before we actually watched the movie. So for us, that was our premiere. Hello, this is Michael Spedden, host of Foul Players Radio. Remember, just because we spell it F-O-W-L doesn't mean it's for the birds. As a matter of fact, every episode features interesting people with fun, fascinating stories about their journeys in the performing arts. Actors, authors, comedians, dancers, musicians, singers, you name it. We're a proud member of the SJ Network. Subscribe to us for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Castro, CastBox. You can find us at HTTPS, FoulPlayersRadio.BuzzSprout.com. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at F-O-W-L underscore radio. That's at Foul underscore radio. Give us a listen and give us a five-star review. Thanks a lot, folks.
Uh, I am Tom Rash, last name is spelled R-A-S-C-H, calling from Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, I am a former Marvel Comics comic book artist and a current content creator. And for those that are not in the know, a content creator is a term now used for people who create uh, content, especially for television and films, you know, uh, someone who comes up with a story or premise. And so that's kind of been my uh, primary focus. And I've also done uh, work in the video game industry as a concept artist for a number of years. And what a concept artist does is uh, anything that you see in television, film or video games, any characters, designs, the attire, the wardrobe that they wear, the city that they live in, uh, if they have weapons, if it's a fantasy or science fiction game. Uh, I am the person that designs all that stuff before it's handed out, handled, excuse me, handed off to like um, a production team on a video game or film project. So when you see the storyboards, that's kind of what you do? Well, that's a that's a storyboard artist, um, like a storyboard artist. Pretty much they kind of do like a comic book style breakdown of scenes and panels. And those are created so that the cinematographer and the director will follow those. What what I do is, like like I said, if you see any film, television, video game project and the character makes an entrance, their entire design from head to toe from the ground up is created by a concept artist. And so that's a little separate discipline uh, than being a storyboard artist. And like I said, you know, um, some of the games that I've worked on, which have been very much a fantasy flavor, like Lord of the Rings almost or World of Warcraft, um, I've designed <clears throat> weapons like swords and, and, you know, magical bows and those kinds of things. I've had to design buildings. Um, I've had to design towns uh, so that my skills as a comic book artist come in pretty handy because, you know, I, in fact, I've told people this for quite a while that comic book artists, a lot, a lot of years didn't get their due because they sort of have to be like a fashion designer, an actor, a cinematographer. Um, an architect, an industrial designer, all of those things kind of rolled into one because you sort of have to know how to draw pretty much everything. And uh, and like I said, those skills translated when I migrated over to doing video game work. And like I said, I've worked on a couple of film projects too, smaller film projects where I've contributed designs of aliens or something, you know, something that, that the story needs. Where do you get your ideas? Where does it come from? That one's always kind of a tough one to answer basically because... I'll have like just something out of the blue will pop in my head just just for whatever reason a random image and then a story or an idea for a story can grow from that but sometimes depending upon what it is like as I'm working professionally on a video game project the art director will come in and say okay we need you to design like an orc or a goblin or a, you know a very a very noble looking warrior and then sometimes they'll give me examples like we want something like this and so, like sometimes, and for myself personally, I also have a file, which I call my inspiration folders, where if I'm trying to maybe have an agenda for a design or an idea for anything that I'm working on, I tend to sort of grab artists that I really admire and grab a lot of their, their website images and then kind of put them in a folder. And so, because I mean, you know, it's really tough sometimes to produce on command creatively. So I'll use that sometimes to kind of sort of spark something. But uh, I would say that a lot of artists probably out there, it's pretty much everything around us, the world. You know, you could see a weird looking tree and that can spark an idea for something, you know, in you. So uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about your time at Marvel. Could you give us some um, a story or an anecdote um, dealing with that that time in your life? Well, drawing comic books is something that I have wanted to do um, since I was about in fifth grade. And as as a boy, I was very much into movies, television and comics. And so I knew that I think I wanted to do storytelling but at the time I was a pretty meek shy kid and so I kind of decided that maybe being a director and swimming around in kind of the the potentially uh, dangerous waters of the sharks in Hollywood is probably not for my personality back then and so I was very much into drawing very much into paying attention to the artist that drew the book and so that became a goal for me and um, like a lot of things in my life I've done a lot of self-education so I started reading articles in my teens like how does one go about getting into comic books, becoming a professional comic book artist? So I would read magazines through the years, and uh, you know, and one of the things they would tell you is to work on samples in your portfolio. And samples are pretty much, especially for uh, what I do, which is called a penciler. That's the guy that draws the entire story. Um, some people may not realize this. Comic books a lot of times can be a one-man production, or they, it can be a small team of several people. 
and sometimes there's a writer and that's what his job is is to write the story and the script things get handed over to a penciler like myself and you sort of break the entire story down and 22 to 24 pages or however many pages of a format you're working with and you um you basically do everything in pencil and then an inker comes along a letter of colors etc the editor see, oversees the whole thing well i knew for me because i love to draw i wanted to be a penciler and that's where the you know the lion's weight of the responsibility for comic falls upon a penciler because you visually have to give your audience the information and um so i learned you know that there were some ways of going about that studying techniques of storytelling and breaking down layouts all that kind of stuff and uh, and also just learning to draw because like i said earlier comic book artists have to draw everything and so i decided that i would sort of pay attention to different kinds of people what they look like what clothing looks like fabric when it's draped you know um the the drapery has an element to it you know that you have to convey that information properly and so i had decided that i was going to do that for a few years and so i was in my very early 20s and I went to my very first San Diego Comic-Con when it hasn't, when it didn't blow up to become the pop culture juggernaut that it is now. But I, uh, I went there uh, summer of 89. It was the summer of the, the Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Batman. I remember that. And that was my first con. But I went there to see if I could get work. And I sort of made a few beginner's mistakes that a lot of people do. Like you sort of, I think, I think that you sort of get nervous. And at the same time, you don't realize that, you know, these people work with professionals all the time. So your work has to reflect that. And at the time I thought, well, I didn't do everything format format wise correctly. And I got uh, some pretty harsh critiques, which honestly, I think anyone wanting to do that line of work needs to go through just because it helps you grow as an artist. But I kind of walked away with uh, my tail tucked between my legs because I pretty much got rejections from Marvel and DC immediately. And then I worked my way down to some smaller uh, comic companies that were around back then. And I actually talked to an inker uh, who had inked a hero of mine, John Byrne, and they were working on Superman. And he basically gave me encouragement that my line work was very well done and maybe I should reconsider and become an inker. And so I went ahead and sent off for samples to, to Marvel in DC and they sent me samples and I did the samples, but I knew that really deep down I still wanted to be a penciler. So he gave me a few tips and I decided to kind of return home and spend the next couple of years working on the things that he told me to work on. So when I went back to my next Comic-Con, which was a few years later, the first company I went to was DC. And the first words out of their mouth was, um, are you working for somebody already? So that was already a great sign that I'm like, it wasn't quite the way it had gone the first experience. And so from there, I had gone through, uh, talked to a few different people at several companies. And then I also would go to artists who were working currently and ask if I could get a critique. And then they would sit there and see my work and go, oh, wow, this is really good. Have you met my editor or met so-and-so? So they, I learned a little bit of a networking aspect on that second try at trying to, trying to break into comics. Anyway, and uh, long story short, there was a company at the time, Malibu, who had just published Image Comics kind of the first year or so when they were around before Image went off on their own. And they had a line of books they were doing. And so their editor there was interested in working with me, but uh, it took, well, if he would have gotten back to me, it would have taken a few months. But what ended up happening during that time was that Malibu was bought up by Marvel Comics. And then probably a month or so later, I got a, I got a phone call, a message from them. And I was so elated that I thought my roommate was playing a practical joke on me. And um, he told me this time, no, he wasn't. And so what I explained to people is like when you have a dream, especially something you wanted to do since you were a child, and you sort of kind of get your foot in the door, it's the same kind of elation of like as if I was an actor and I had just discovered I got a part on a pilot or a TV show pilot, or I got my first acting gig in a film. There's that level of excitement. Um, and so the book that they put me on was Punisher 2099. And unfortunately though, I didn't work for Marvel very long because timing wasn't on my side because I had ended up getting my foot in the door when the market imploded not too long after that the following year. And so since that had happened, um, a lot of books were getting canceled because some comic sales were dropping. And uh, since I was a newbie, I was the lowest on the totem pole to finding work. A couple of the editors uh, that I had worked for at Marvel, uh, especially one of them, was trying to get me work at other comic book companies, but his power was limited, so there really was no traction there. And so after kind of that disappointing time, I had a couple of friends who also wanted to do comics, and they ended up getting into video games and had talked to me about doing work, like I said, because the, the disciplines for both are similar. And actually at the time, video games paid way more than comics and you know you were on salary and you had benefits and stuff which unfortunately 
a comic book freelancer generally doesn't experience. So, and so, but I've still, you know, during that time, I kind of had to reassess, reassess where my career was going and my priorities. And um, after working in the video game industry for years, and, and sometimes that market has also been a little more volatile, not as steady as it once was, I decided to kind of focus on building my future. And because we live in an age where streaming platforms and films in general are hungry for genre content and by genre content i mean you know science fiction superheroes any of those kinds of things that kind of tend to be franchisable that movie studios or tv shows or streaming you know services are wanting to build a franchise around and so i've decided to focus on getting um, a few of my own projects off the ground that i've created some that I created as as a kid 11 years old and um, i've had some traction with those over the last several years one of my characters black alpha um, has been optioned a few times for tv movie and development and then another character of mine that i'm partnering with a former wcw ww wrestler named bishop stevens and um, his acting career has been taking off and he's been on the walking dead and uh, the tv show empire he just filmed an episode a couple of months ago, second episode of the Chicago PD, I believe is the show on NBC, and has been acting a lot of independent films. But he's working with me to get an independent version of this character off the ground where he's playing the lead character. Uh, and I've been talking to producers for a few of my other ideas because uh, uh, I have the blessing and the curse of having an overly fertile imagination, and I've got easily over probably 20 characters course i will never have time to do them all but you know i've had interest and in, in about altogether now five of my characters when it comes to the entertainment industry in hollywood so like i said that's really kind of where my primary focus is at as far as you know what i'm trying to do artistically and creatively so in when you put your ideas down on paper do you do both the drawing and the ink work now or uh or are you not doing that at all you're just devoting yourself to writing and the concept for these projects well well, with what I do, um, especially once I moved into doing concept art for video games, I can pencil my work, um, I can ink it or digital ink it, and I can also paint it and digitally paint it. Because like I said, the uh, the concept art part comes in handy because like, you sometimes you're required to, to paint a scene with an entire city. And so if I have my own ideas, I can kind of take those skills and put them to use. And so a lot of times, uh, and I will clarify that even though I come up with the stories, I don't consider myself a writer. I've been working with a few different writers and Hollywood screenwriters over the last several years to flesh out my stories and then they write the script. I, I would liken it to no different than what George Lucas has done for years with like, say Indiana Jones, like he created the character, came up with the basic premise, but actually worked with a screenwriter who actually wrote the script and fleshed out the story of the characters in that world. Um, I work in a very similar manner. so. So that I, I uh, will have ideas and then I do spend a lot of time doing concept pieces, you know, for what, what the story could look like if it was turned into a comic, TV or film. And, and even sometimes I do merchandise prototype images because I, when I create my characters, I definitely have an eye for licensing and merchandise. So I, sometimes I do a board game version or a version uh, that would be like the cover of a novel because, you know, I create what I love. And, and since I've grown up loving things like star trek and star wars there's so many different ways they call that uh, like a, a multi-platform intellectual property where it's not just the film you know there's the toy line and the other thing the comics and the games and the video games i've mentioned i have an eye towards that stuff because i enjoy those things as a fan so my creations are kind of partially designed to live in that space and hopefully it's enticing to potential investors because you know they want to know how they're going to get their their roi which is return on investment and I think that, you know, a lot of the money to be made from these things, some people may not realize it, is Star Wars actually makes more money generally from the merchandising than it does from the sales of the tickets when it premieres in the theater. And so I've taken a very similar approach. So not only do I do like designs and characters, the sketches of what my characters look like, I have one is a science fiction story. So I've designed a number of spaceships that the characters use. And I've designed some of the culture of that world, you know, some of the history flags of different factions of people. Um, a history, a source book of, of what those characters deal with in their reality, um, a map of the star systems that they're familiar with. Uh, so I've completely nerded out with all this stuff because, like I said, that's what I love. And um, and then, like I said, and also doing these merchandise uh, prototypes. And uh, I will say this before I forget. Black Alpha, by the way, was published in USA Today a number of years ago. The first issue was published and they did an article 
about me regarding that. And then uh, a number of my Black Alpha merchandise appeared for years on the Big Bang Theory TV show. Cool. Uh, that was my next question was, you know, how, what if your projects have come to fruition? Uh, do you have a pretty good body of work behind you now? Well, as far as fruition, I mean, in a sense... Yeah, I mean, like Black Alpha has one issue of a comic book. I've been working for a number of years to get the other three issues of a miniseries uh, finished. But, you know, comic book production is a lot of work. And, and because of, uh, you know, my hours and I'm a brand new father, I have a one and a half year old daughter named Maria. My time is kind of limited. So so time management has become a new speciality for me. And I'm looking at doing a Kickstarter to get the Black Alpha comic uh, finished up to so people can actually buy it in stores. And the four issues would eventually be a trade paperback that they could purchase in stores as well. I've spent so much time dealing with the Hollywood end of things, you know, taking meetings and, and trying to do like these pitch packages so that potential producers and studios will understand the material as I pitch it to them, that that's taken up a lot of my time. So I've decided this last year because the harsh reality of this, and I've had to learn this the hard way myself, is that when we see anything that is in front of us, you know, like a TV show, let alone a TV show that becomes a massive hit, there's a lot of components that sort of matched up to get those made and there's a lot of things uh, people in my position who continue to get projects made and, and tv and films and such that for one one second everything could be falling into place the next thing financier pulls out or something you know an actor that was a chat decide he doesn't want to do it so i've learned that uh, as i continue to try and get these projects made in that arena the one thing that's easier for me to produce as far as getting material out there is a comic and so I've decided this next year I'm going to focus on getting this comic done. And I've had a very loyal fan base on social media the last several years that have been following me along because I post a lot of my updates and the news and such. And so I feel good because I feel like they're kind of personally invested with me. But, you know, I, I can't not deliver some kind of content. And like I said, the, the TV and movie end, unless I'm financially wealthy, like I need the support of other resources to get those created. And, you know, I don't want them to completely check out of interest of checking out my story because I have really no story to give them except for one issue of a comic. So, so yeah, and, and you know, as far as the other project with uh, Bishop Stevens I mentioned, you know, we have a couple of trailers that we produced um, that I share from time to time online. And we're trying to just sort of close in on getting our finishing financing so that a 90-minute small independent feature will be created. So that's kind of at its beginning stages. And then, like I said, I have other ones where... Um, I have a couple of friends in the industry where they'll post from time to time that they know producers that are looking for content for what have you. And so I'll send them like eight pitches and uh, and then a couple of producers were interested, but I've yet to hear back on those. That's another thing, too. There's a big part of this. That's the waiting game. And so in order to kind of keep myself occupied and kind of keep my sanity, I decided, like I said, to focus on something that's a little more doable. And uh, the comic, like I said, more than anything, is probably the, the easiest thing, even though easy is a relative term, uh, to create to get your material off the ground. Why don't you give us an idea of um, something that has happened in your life? Uh, it can either deal with the comic book industry or, you know, what you do now or not that has changed you in a big way. I know that I would imagine your first, you know, true job in uh, comic book probably was a, a, a pinnacle for you what kind of you know ha thing in your life has that or has has taken place well I, I i will answer this with the the emotional part which is obviously becoming a new father has kind of changed um how i approach everything that i do including how i see everything and about life and so there's a different kind of investment for me about where where my daughter fits in the scheme of all this stuff and obviously she's priority number one, but I also want to leave hopefully a nice creative legacy behind for her. So there's a bigger picture other than just myself, especially with being a new father and my daughter is that I want to leave her a legacy, a creative legacy that dad was creative and never gave that up. And also was, was you know, had some dreams that he pretty much had to kind of uh, work his way through and to show her, you know, try and do your best in life and, and you know, any idea or goals you have expect the best that you you can fight for those things and um but like i said she's obviously priority number one but i think that like i said that's how i view life a little differently than when it was just me because there's a much bigger picture now that really involves her as far as the professional creative side of things i think that 
I don't know how many people out there in your audience, and probably some can relate, but when you have a, a, a dream or an idea of things that you want to happen, and they come from a place of, in my case, being in grade school, very young grade school years, and you never completely let those go, there's kind of an adult realization that, that on one hand, you feel excited when things seem to be going a certain direction, and then the rug could kind of get pulled out from underneath you, and more than once. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be human if I didn't say sometimes you're tempted to go, this isn't working out, it's time to pack it in. So I guess a milestone, if anything, is that I've had to learn that there's going to be the roller coaster, there will be disappointments, but if I want to come out the other side in one piece and intact and hopefully a version of success that I have to continue to kind of ride this wave, you know, that, that when things look like they're going fantastic one minute, and that's a lot of what life is about in general, obviously, but for these creative endeavors and these goals, I have learned uh, sometimes the hard way, fortunately and unfortunately, that I have to stay the course. You mentioned that you pretty much have, you know, did a lot of networking through Comic Con and things like that. Is that something you recommend to the younger individual who may be interested in becoming involved in this type of work? I would say it couldn't hurt but you know there's been a huge paradigm shift in how material and communication is presented to everybody obviously via the internet i do think it's still beneficial if you can to go to comic cons to kind of get uh, form you know because i mean part of networking is about relationships uh some people may not realize that that you you will find opportunities if you end up establishing and, and we're not talking like well you come up to someone you know who they are you introduce yourself and then you're like, take a look at my project. I mean, you know, these things have to be kind of built over time. And like a lot of fields, you know, people want to work with people that they enjoy. And if you have the skills and talent, you will be someone that comes to mind, say, if a, a job pops up or they have an opportunity, you know, so I think it can be beneficial. But, you know, networking nowadays, that's one of the conduits. Now, years ago, that was almost one of the only ones. But obviously nowadays with things like Facebook and social media and other parts of the Internet, I take a similar approach and you know what my Facebook page is all about I tell people constantly is it's uh it's a page to sort of promote what I do what I'm about as an artist and as a creative but I've made some fantastic contacts and networking just on Facebook uh, a lot of people in the film community and so I uh everyone is allowed to run their social media page the way they see fit obviously myself personally I sort of kind of steer clear of any controversial subjects because it's not my place to uh I guess engage in healthy or heated debate about those things and I want my page to be about kind of my goal of what I'm trying to do and my projects and so people know they can come to my page and check out artwork talk about comic books talk about science fiction um, and, and I, I uh, have a great memory for things I grew up with so sometimes I'll touch a nerve with uh, the people on my page you know toys that they sort of forgot about that I'll bring up and share from time to time but once again there's still an element of networking for me and actually the opportunities that I mentioned, like with Black Alpha being on the Big Bang Theory, Black Alpha getting published in USA Today, especially that one was a combination of meeting and making friends with a couple of people at a con and them discovering what I was doing years later on the internet and reconnecting with me. And that's how I got into USA Today. So yeah, networking in its various forms is very beneficial. You just have to make sure and kind of find your rhythm and how to do it. Cause like I said, pushiness will obviously turn many people off. I think some people get overly excited and they want to push their agenda right out of the gate. I would recommend not doing that. You know, that's the approach I've taken that's been successful as far as my contacts go is that I, I, I try and let my work speak for itself. And on occasion, uh, even one of the times that um, Black Alpha got optioned for TV movie development, it was someone who discovered what I was doing online who was working for a Hollywood company that said, we're interested in acquiring this to develop that. So why don't you go ahead and give us your social media accounts? Uh, I'll have I'll post them in our show notes, but if the listener, you know, to find them or the listener to find, but go ahead and tell us what your uh, handles are. Well, uh, on Facebook, you can find me under Tom Rash, R-A-S-C-H, and that that is generally the one that I primarily promote on for the most part. Um, there is a Black Alpha Facebook page that sometimes I share a little bit of different information, and there's also Salem Tusk is the other character with Bishop Stevens, um, both of those, and then there's a Black Alpha Twitter and a Tom Rash Instagram. And so I would have to say though, for me personally, um, I spend 98% of my time promoting on Facebook because to me there's more of a, an instantaneous connection and, and things kind of seem to happen a little quicker, but that's generally where people can find me at. 
Okay, like I said, I'll put all that in the show notes. So if you are in- interested in reaching out to Tom, uh, just go to the show notes, and these links will be uh, featured. Okay, well, yep. we've we've gotten about 30 minutes, so that's a good time. We could probably stop unless there's something you want to talk about that we haven't so far. Well, I'll just say this, that a um, couple of things, you know, when you brought up information or inspiration, excuse me, I want to mention my mother, Maggie, um, who's a wonderful artist, and, and I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of 10 children, and she sort of had to give up drawing quite a few years ago, for the most part, obviously, to raise us kids, but... She was my first artistic hero because about four years old, she was the reason I picked up a pencil and really started doodling. I tried to copy her drawings. And, of course, I'd emulate things on TV shows I like, like Batman and Star Trek and Spider-Man. But uh, I would also say that for me personally, I grew up as a very shy kid, and escapism of comics and TV was very important to me. And so I would have to say that my creativity really sort of saved me and put me on a path that I'm grateful for, you know, even if some of it's been hard in my adult years trying to achieve goals, but I'm grateful that I told my mom that she partially passed along uh, the gift of imagination and art to me. And I come from a very creative family anyway. My dad's a musician, my dad, Bob, and and a lot of siblings and stuff. So I'm grateful that both my parents kind of brought creativity into the world of my siblings and I. And, uh, you know, for years, a lot of my siblings have made living as a musician. I was in a band with them for a while myself, actually, while I was drawing for Marvel, which is kind of a weird, like, dichotomy of lifestyle. But um, you know, so yeah, I would just like I said to give a shout out to my family and um, and also everyone on social media that has lent their support uh, through the years with what I'm trying to do.